Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 81 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And I'm back to talk about Stargate. You had a good time without me. I loved listening to last week's show with the uh, two weeks ago show with Louisa and Tammy. Oh, you did, did you? I well, did. very good. Masterpiece. It was a masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that since I was a little kid. I went online to pbs.org and found the theme music. I'm like, oh yeah! So we're talking in this week's show about Stargate Atlantis Season 3, one of my favorite years of the show. But before we get to that, i uh, got a little bit of catching up to do. So we took last week off, uh, which was very rare. I don't know if we've actually taken a week off other than, than Christmas time since uh, we started podcasting. I think once before, twice before, we have done it, but you're right, it is absolutely rare. But you were sick. I was sick as a dog, and uh, usually what we can do is we can just say, well, let's record it tomorrow, let's record it on Tuesday instead, and mm. my voice will be sounding better. But now that I'm in the UK and I'm eight hours ahead of you, and you are a working stiff, we can't really record except on the weekend. So that's out. Yeah, it's not as flexible as it was. But I was super sick. This is this is as long as I've probably ever been sick in my life. It was like wow. two weeks, and now I'm on antibiotics. Feeling better. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that you're feeling better. We did a show without you, Podcast 80. You seem to be out for the milestones often. I mean, for 30, you did the opening and the ending, and you were really sick. Was that 30? 30. So that was 30. That was the convention one, I believe, that Tammy and I did. One of my favorites. Um, and that was a good show. See, out... now my favorite shows are like the ones where I'm, I'm either gone or, or we have like like uh, the convention roundtable that we did from Vancouver where there's like eight other people talking. And hopefully we'll be doing something like that again this year. But yeah, we, we've received a lot of feedback uh, about uh, episode 80 with uh, the two gals that were with us. And you know... Um, a lot of it's positive, a lot of it's negative, you know, a lot of it's, uh, I didn't get to hear my opinions heard. If you don't have your opinions heard, call in and give them to us, uh, and we'll, we'll post them on the air. Uh, you know, there was, there was one comment that I read where, you know, my English isn't very good, so, I mean, I can only type. I'm sorry for that, and I appreciate the, the situation that you're in, but there's not really much we can do, because uh, we're wanting to go completely audio with the uh, comments now. So we read for a long time, and we're just not going to do that anymore. We're yeah. trying to phase that out. I love the fact that there's so much conversation that that, that show generated, and the, and the conversation between Louisa and Tammy generated. I'm kind of surprised I knew that it was it was a significant topic and a really important topic to a lot of people, that a lot of people out there have some really strong, really specific opinions about that, about women in Stargate, about, about each individual character and the way that, that they've been written and the way that they've been utilized. Uh, I was kind of surprised, I guess, that so much of it ended up happening on the forum, in written form, and not on the show, that that people chose not to call in, not to participate. And unfortunately, I think there's a little bit too much criticism of our guests themselves and the way that that they, quote-unquote, performed. I don't think that that's particularly fair. They're on the spot. They're doing it, quote-unquote, live. Uh, you know, for They've them never met life. each other before. Never met each other, never talked to each other before, and we sort of built it up as as well. We've talked to Louisa about this, and we've talked to Tammy about this, and we kind of feel like they would approach the topic of women in Stargate from very different angles. Um, 
and and uh, they didn't so much. They not so much, but which is fine. I I thought it was still a great and really interesting discussion, but um, yeah, some people ended up thinking that that uh, that uh, their their views on the subject and on the characters were were not well represented because those two women agreed. And you know, we've given a little bit of criticism in the past to the the. What seems to be the SG writing team being a bit of a boys club, and then what do you know? They bring in a female writer, and I'm not going to at all suggest that you know we had something to do with that. Um, like you know, a lot of fan sites may say, oh, it's because of our efforts that uh, this character is coming back on the show or whatever. This is just yeah, like a coincidence, as far as I'm concerned. This is a, a really terrific coincidence where there's there's going to be a, a female writer involved in that team, and and I'm really interested to see uh, to see what that does to the dynamic in terms of not so much big strokes but micro strokes between the characters, um, especially the female characters. I'm uh, I'm interested to see what that uh, female voice in the writing team is going to do. So I cannot tell you how excited I am. Yeah, it's very exciting. There's uh, there's two new faces on on the main full time staff this year for season two. I'm gonna pronounce his name wrong. I'm sorry, Remy Abakan, who wrote the pilot, the DVD pilot for Caprica, uh, which was awesome. And then uh, Linda McGibney is uh, also joining. Is that they're both writer producers. Not to say that that there haven't been other women over the course of the last few years who have left their mark on Stargate. There's a there's an episode of SGU that that was written by a freelance writer who is a woman that has not aired yet. So, um, yeah, the, the the main staff of writers is, has been all male for a long time. Uh, I think this is definitely a, a, a cool development. So, before we get to Atlantis, speaking of SGU, did you happen to catch the new trailer? I did indeed, and we've got aliens! Aliens. I'm surprised that they revealed it, honestly, that they actually yeah. showed the aliens. As much as they've been talking about, you know, aliens are going to be in space in the in the next episode, the April 2nd episode, and they're going to be okay. unlike anything we've ever done on Stargate, and they're going to be CGI, and they're going to they're gonna be kind of District 90. I'm surprised that they showed us the aliens in the trailer. Yeah, same folks who kicked out uh, the District 9 aliens, the prawns, made these guys, and they are fantastic. I think these aliens are extremely cool. Yeah, I can't wait to see more of them. This trailer, though, is super cool. Um, Sci-Fi Channel did another trailer for Season 1.5, the back half of Season 1, uh, is it was a really short one. Um, it was it was kind of ah okay the show's coming back and then MGM released their trailer which is a minute and a half long. Um, the first thirty seconds of it is sort of recapping what happened at the end of Justice. Yeah. And then the next minute is just I've I've read spoilers and I know a bit about what's coming up but my jaw was on the floor a couple different times. So if you don't mind a little bit of spoilers, go and watch that trailer. It's on GateWorld right now, and I just think it's it's a cool piece of work. It's got me it's got me all kinds of excited about about the show coming back. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good spring. The main discussion. Well, we are almost after all of these months to the end of our series on the history of Stargate, and we're up to the third season of Stargate Atlantis this week which aired on Sci-Fi Channel from 2006 to 2007. Uh, this was mm-hmm. uh, along with SG-1's final season. This was during season 10 of SG-1. And I just uh, loved season 3. This uh, introduction of the Replicators, uh, reintroduction of the Replicators, uh, I thought was huge for this show. We talked about season 2 a few weeks ago. Season 2 was, was not my favorite. It was, it was uh, 
my least favorite of the five years of Atlantis. So season three, just Atlantis just picked up its game, and I thought did a stellar job. It really did. I, I feel the same way about um, about season three that you do, pretty much. I mean, there are a couple of clunkers in there, but by and large, it was a very successful season. It fleshed out Ronan more. It fleshed out McKay more. You got uh, a great adversary with the replicators uh, coming into play here, the Asurans. Uh, Jeannie Miller, uh, you get uh, Richard Dean Anderson back in this uh, in this show. Uh, we get a great episode Sunday, and uh, Michael becomes a little bit more fleshed out as well. Yeah, lots of big signposts. Um, we're going to talk through all 20 episodes, and if you want to follow along with uh, the episode guide, and you happen to be in front of a computer right now, go to gateworld.net slash Atlantis slash S3. Favorite episode of season three? Sunday, hands down. Uh, I'd been looking forward to the concept of Sunday for a long time. Garrow is a really big fan of a, uh, a film called Elephant, written and uh, directed by Gus Van Zandt. It's about a, a school shooting, uh, but the way that it takes place in terms of how the storytelling is done with time, uh, it you don't realize what's happening until the last quarter of, of the film. You don't really get to to see how it all works because you know you're you're seeing scenes through different characters' eyes and you know that something's wrong uh, when you get to the end of each of their sequences, but you don't exactly know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then as more of these pieces of the puzzle come together, you get the wider scope of what it is. Sunday is really an homage to that film, Elephant. Mm-hmm. He was talking about doing a day off episode for a long time, and yeah, he was this afraid came up that in, in our interview with him, yeah, yeah. that yeah. year that he wanted Before... to do an episode that was just kind of not about anything. That was just what the characters do on a Sunday. But, you know, he said that, you know, Stargate episodes don't work unless there's a certain amount of Jeopardy in them. And boy, there was some. <laughs> so I thought it was really, really good. A lot of people don't care for it. I love it. I love it. Perhaps because Martin and I are, are buddies and this was something that was really important to him and this was something that he got me interested in, you know, um, in in creating this this story so to get to see it realized when i had been knowing about his longing to do something like this was really exciting so to to see it come to fruition was great yeah this is an episode of atlantis that's completely unlike any other for sure um most people love it because it's a because it's so touching we lose a, a character that everybody loved I mean, it's, it's kind of like the death of Janet Frazier to the nth degree. I mean, we didn't know Carson as long, but he's just such a big, cuddly teddy bear. But on the other hand, you've got the fact that, that uh, I mean, exactly what, what Martin came up with. Let's see our characters when they're not in, in mortal jeopardy. Uh, let's see what they're like when they're hanging out. With their hair down, the yeah. With their hair down, and that's, that's something that, that us longtime fans just, just love to see. You know, when Sunday first aired, I didn't really care for it. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was that I was just so mad that they killed off Carson or that it was the episode was so out of the box. Um, same reason I didn't really care for, for Wormhole Extreme or 200 all that much because they were so out of the box. But um, it's, it is it is one that's grown on me that is sort of, as it's settled into, into the fabric of, of the Atlanta story and become part of... of the mythos. It's, it's a really touching story, and and the way that it ends with Rodney sort of grieving over over Carson is is uh, definitely tugs at the heartstrings. My favorite episode of season three, I think, is got to be Progeny. 
This was the yeah. introduction of the replicators, uh, the Pegasus replicators. So, of course, we've uh, met and, and tangled with the replicators in the Milky Way galaxy on SG-1 for years. And uh, now we come to discover that there is a 10,000-year-old civilization of replicators. And we learn, of course, that they were created by the ancients uh, as a weapon against the Wraith. And they want retribution. Super cool premise. Um, I love the guest casting. I love David Ogden Stiers as the leader of the Asurans, the replicators. And uh, I don't know. Atlantis, for me, is so much about uh, about the, the Pegasus replicators, the Asurans. Kind of wish that they'd hung out a little bit more than they did. Hadn't bumped them off quite so soon. But you know what? They went out with a bang. I thought they were going to be a bigger deal, the way that the writers talked about introducing them. But uh, it was it was fun while it lasted. And David Ogden Stiers does a, a fantastic job playing this sort of sort of robotic leader. And then you've got Neil and his his people looking to figure out how to ascend. They're the sympathetic characters. They're the the replicator that we kind of like. We think we might be able to trust a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, until you get the mindset like Jack O'Neill in there, who's not going to trust a replicator, um, sort of repeating some of the same emotional beats, intellectual beats from Unnatural Selection and, yeah. and the character of Fifth. But um, just a cool episode, and and this was a time when when I was uh, hip deep in spoilers, and I was reading casting sides left and right, and there were a lot of casting sides for Progeny, so I I had read a lot of the scenes ahead of time but I still just love the episode. Uh, everything just paid off perfectly um, from, from script to screen in this. This is a really strong show. Um, Charles Emerson Winchester III. I love this actor. I was excited to see him in this role. Oh, yeah, MASH. We start off thinking that this is a race of ancients, a group of ancients that have survived for 10,000 years in the uh, Pegasus galaxy, and we find out that we're dead wrong about that. I mean, the the implications of this episode are great. We've got it. We've got a culture out there who is developing fresh, brand new ZPMs, fresh mm-hmm. batteries, which we are going to want to grab at some point. And uh, you know, a few of them are not going to go amiss among this huge, huge city-sized planet. Neem, I was very sympathetic with that character and his straight-haired cohorts. It was a really effective show. Beautiful visual effects. They just really upped the ante with this one. It was an exciting piece. Yeah, and, and the information that they gave us, the insight that they gave us into the ancients was was great and, and was very troubling. Uh, when I think about yeah. progeny, I think about the flashbacks uh, and the exposition that was given as to the, the ancients deciding to basically obliterate their creation, the replicators. The more we uh, learn about the ancients, the more I tended to dislike them. <laughs> they ultimately seem to be used as a as a storytelling mechanism through which things go bad so that things can happen to our characters. That's basically what the ancients were used as. Like Time after time after time, the greatest, most powerful civilization to ever roam these stars screwed up royally. And now we're stuck with cleaning up their mess 10,000 years later yeah. or a million years later or whichever generation of ancients screwed up this time. It's quite funny. But, you know, that's that's how the story moved along for a lot of these episodes, and this is definitely one of them. They didn't just screw up royally, did they? They screwed up royally, and they didn't go down swinging. They mm-hmm. they left. Yeah, they just left. Um, they had Those no choice. Ancients. Those ancients. Those ancients. Yeah. Um, and Rodney, 
you know, Rodney uh, does something to their to their programming in this episode that has huge consequences. This is the beginning of, I think, Rodney's biggest blunder, in my opinion, where he he opens the door that allows them to manipulate their own base code. And then when the ancients return in the middle of the season, they get whacked and they don't even see it coming because Rodney has allowed the door to be open. And um, I think one of the reasons that it bugs me so much is that Rodney never, you know, we never, we never hear him emoting at any point about, you know what, I really did a bad thing here. I'm responsible for all these deaths. You know, ultimately millions and millions of Pegasus Galaxy deaths um, because of opening this uh, base code. I think that's one of the things that really jaded me about, about this show. And why in season five's Inquisition, I'm often frustrated that they don't get justice passed upon them. The, the team doesn't. I'm a big fan of atoning for your sins. Yeah, and owning up to them. And that's a pretty dang big sin. <laughs> Let's preface the least favorite episodes of the season by saying Richard Kind is a terrific <laughs> actor. Love him in the original Stargate movie. Um, he's, I think he's the only actor who's been in both Atlantis and the original movie. Um, man, he's such a great character actor. He's so much fun to watch. And and uh, and the character of Lucius Lavin was originally created to be sort of Stargate's version of Harry Mudd, which I think was a, a, a stroke of brilliance. It, it uh, had so much potential to just be, yeah. just kind of a lot of fun. And he's just he's a he's a troublemaker going from planet to planet. Uh, so least favorite. Well, you just must assume that uh, that mine has to be one of those too. And you'd be correct. Irresponsible. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm um, the dice. Irresponsible is my least favorite episode of this season. That's the second uh, one with Lucius. Yes, the second one with Lucius. The, this is the episode where Lucius comes back and uh, Kolya gets killed for no reason. Um, a, a favorite character of mine, one of my favorite characters, gets offed in this episode because Shepard has vowed that if he sees him again and, and, and Kolya messes with him, he's going to kill him, so he does. Uh, Lucius has... You know, is is up to his old tricks again. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And this is a character that you know I really wanted to enjoy, but it just the concept of the episode I think is interesting. It's it's a piece of technology that we've seen before. It's a nice callback to the early years, uh, the early the early days, the early hours of Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, with the the ancient yeah. personal defense shield, the the little green turtle brooch. Yep. Uh, Lucius has one, and it's it's made him invincible basically. So. He's gone and set himself up as a superhero, as the town savior. Uh, I think it's a it's a nice little callback and a nice concept. But I would like this episode a whole lot better if Kolya didn't get killed, because even even the death of Kolya, it was the scene with its its sort of a, a showdown at the OK Corral, and it's literally shot that way with I think with mm-hmm. the fingers twitching over the over the holster. They did it to kind of kind of be be cute, and it's just a shame. Colia was such a fascinating character. I'm not sure why they decided to kill him. As as often as they, as the writers deliberately leave characters alive so that they can bring them back. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, why it was necessary to kill such a cool villain here. I'm just not sure. Well, then let's quickly talk about my least favorite episode of season three, which is Irresistible, the first Lucius episode. I don't think that I've ever rewatched it, honestly since it first aired. I don't really? think, I think this is probably the only episode of 300 some uh, 300 and what are we up to now? 324 of Stargate that I've only watched once. Uh, yeah. because it, it just uh, seemed like such a, a misfire of of what 
I was really looking forward to again the the Harry Mud concept, um, and and we were on set watching some of it film, and it's just it's fun, and it's it's meant to be a fun episode. Okay, I guess this is what it comes down to for me, and I'm not the only one who's criticized the episode for for this reason. It's meant to be a fun, light-hearted, silly episode yes, with a it is. really light-hearted, silly, fun character, uh, but instead the theme of of what's being dealt with is actually really serious and disturbing. Which is that Lucius has found this? Uh, I don't remember what it was. Some some chemical, some some pheromone yeah. that he's drinking that makes people fall in love with him. Yeah, uh, and, which is fine. And so he set himself up on on a planet with uh, beautiful buxom women, and he's got uh, umpteen wives who he's uh, probably having conjugal relations with. Of course. Uh, and, and then he uses he uses the pheromones to to get in uh, into Atlantis and. And you know Carson falls in love with him and brings him to Atlantis, and Weir is, is falls all over him, and and Taylor loves him, and everybody's sitting around at his feet listening to him tell tell stories of his adventures. Um, there's some fun stuff in here, and there's some it's it's nice to see our main characters, uh, especially guys like like Ronan uh, and Weir acting out of character uh, because yes. of their effect. Uh, but you know you're dealing with some serious stuff here when you when you look at what this guy is really doing. And then the final criticism would be sort of the escape. It was it seemed sort of convenient to me that, that the reason that our characters got out of this was because Shepard happened to have a cold that day. The first time we've seen a character sneeze outside of Daniel. This is an episode that I don't particularly care for either. I, I agree with everything that you've said, but it also contains the biggest laugh that I've ever had for an Atlantis episode. Oh, yeah? What's that? Yeah, it has my favorite line for all of Atlantis. Okay. The sick have been cured, the lame can walk again. Well, some still crawl, but they crawl a lot faster than they used to. <laughs> that is a fantastic line. That's good. I have never laughed so hard from Atlantis, and every time I play that back, Richard Kind just delivers it perfectly. Yeah, so. the the acting in this is good. Richard Kind is great, and he's and great. I think the dialogue is good. It's just sort of there's some some structural problems at, at the at the fundamental level that that uh, didn't work for me. But there's a lot of great stuff going on in season three. So let's backtrack to the premiere, No Man's Land. No Man's Land. We're out in the middle between the two galaxies. Recap. Michael's hive has elected to betray him, and uh, we find out in this episode, betray him. Uh, he wasn't complicit. He wasn't in on it, on uh, the coordinates to Earth, and the Wraith are heading to the Milky Way for a new feeding ground, and we must catch up with them. And the only way that we can do that is the Wraith hyperdrives, conveniently enough, are inefficient, and we can catch up with them in deep space with the Orion and the Daedalus, and this is the first time our Daedalus, our poor Daedalus, gets her ass handed to her. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of nice after the Daedalus first showed up a year ago and, you know, we have the ability to beam nukes onto hive ships and blow them up. It was it was a pretty darn powerful ship there for a while. Connor Trinier is back as Michael. Andy Frizzell is on as, as the Wraith Queen. Um, and we we get the, the hive ship in the end. We, we capture it. We commandeer it. Yeah. And that leads into the next episode. Well, Michael is the most interesting thing in, in these two episodes hanging together, No Man's Land and Misbegotten. Uh, they hang together, and Michael is the most interesting thing to me because he's he's uh, ostracized from his own people. He's this sort of hybrid creature now. They they don't look at him as a wraith. You know, he smells kind of like food to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's obviously not a human, and he has he has no harbor. So he's um, he's been the character has been described by the writers as sort of a flying Dutchman, and that's what he becomes. 
and that uh, as we see as season three goes on and then into the rest of the series, this is the point where Michael becomes a huge, huge problem, not only for yeah. us but for the Wraith. He becomes yeah. a significant player in the galaxy because basically the Wraith kick him out and say, eh, you, "You're not one of us. We, you know, we detest you." Basically. Mm-hmm. And then we turn yeah. around and misbegotten and uh, give him the retrovirus again and try and trick him again into thinking that he's a human being. It doesn't work so well this time. We've got a, a bunch of uh, white-coated wraith after us at this point. You know, this is the first time that we see the wraith without their without their uh, without their masks on, without uh, you know um, them being wraith. See them as, as human beings, and we're trying to to convince them that you know they're they're survivors of a, of a plague or something, and uh, it's not working. The wraith portion of their DNA is is calling them back, and uh, Michael Michael escapes in this and becomes a, a huge problem later on. Well, it didn't work once with Michael. I don't know why we thought it would work with with dozens and dozens of wraith that uh, were on this hive ship that we that we used the weapon on. Well, what was the alternative here? I think I think that's one of the moral questions of this. What, yeah. What's the alternative? Do we kill them? Exactly. Do we, do we, throw them into deep space they are human now do we have a responsibility to them now that they are human that's one of the yeah. issues that's tinkered with a little bit in this episode so an interesting question that atlantis did with the retrovirus was are they human did we really transform them into a different species or are they just wraith that have been genetically mm-hmm. altered mm-hmm. Uh, interesting question and that's that's sort of uh, the what ronin brings to the table uh, in Michael in season two is you know you can take the Aratus bug DNA out of the wraith but you can't take the hunger you can't he's not really a human you can't take the wraith out of the wraith he also brings that up in um, Elia's episode too you know it, it can serve cookies and and you can teach it manners but it's still a wraith hi this is Dan from St Louis Missouri my favorite episode is Satita I think it's one of the best action episodes that the Stargates has group has ever done. I think it does a really good job of giving painting a background of Ronan Dex without you know, it shows it, it doesn't tell. And I just think it's shot in a really interesting way. It's just it's a unique episode for a show that at times can kind of get predictable. And I just think it stands out. It's one of my top five favorites of all Stargate Atlantis, the whole five seasons. And it's definitely the best from season three. Fantastic. This was almost my favorite. I'm not huge on action episodes, which is why I kind of uh, went for Progeny instead. But as an action episode, man, Satita is so cool. I think it's one of the high points of, of Atlantis's five years. It is a good show. We get to learn about uh, about Ronan's backstory, you know, the village that he visited that took him in one night when he was weak. And you know, the Wraith came and called them. And now the village leader, Katura is uh has made a deal with uh, the same wraith that um was chasing Ronan originally and Ronan is is reinscripted into the the elite group of runners and is is brought to Satita uh I guess to pull on his on his heartstrings and make him just all the more vicious and they go hunting him there yeah uh, that's just manage... mean take yeah. a guy back to his bombed out home home planet where nobody's left yeah. alive that's just Rubbing salt in the wound. Well, I mean, he's he's forced to relive his uh, his his deepest uh, darkest moments. You know, losing Milena, uh, his his would be wife or her, the equivalent, 
and you know it makes him a a stronger more vicious fighter and that's exactly what the wraith wanted the only problem is they couldn't handle him and uh we and he had help from his atlantis comrades yeah so. well they could you get the the knockdown drag out fight at the end with the uber wraith dan yeah. Payne, and uh ronin didn't really stand a chance yeah I love Shepard's line, you know. I need to help him, and Taylor's like, "No." And he says, "You think he'd kill me? You think he'd really kill me if I helped him?" She said, "I think he would never forgive you." And then yeah. Beckett says, "You know, I don't care. He can sue me," and blows him away with the drone. And then, and then Ronan gives him this huge hug. I love the Beckett hug at the end. Such a cool episode, and Jason just just carries it both in the action department and and in acting. And you really feel for for Ronan and for what he's lost. You can't believe that it's 41 minutes long, 42 minutes. You think that it's a two-parter. There's so much stuff in it. It's so tightly crammed, and it works. I think every minute of it works. The real world follows up on progeny. Neum left a little present behind when he grabbed Elizabeth. Uh, This is my second favorite uh, Elizabeth Weir episode, Behind Before I Sleep. It's got some spooky elements to it, man. It's got a little bit of horror in it. Uh, We're inside her mind. I love episodes that, uh, that... you know, a lot of a lot of shows do them with with sci-fi or fan, fantasy elements. Uh, a lot of shows will eventually come to the point where you get an episode where one of the main characters wakes up and finds out that everything that's been happening to you is it's not true. It's all a dream, and you're here. Mm-hmm. It's a very common storytelling device in in a lot of shows. It's good in this one, and you get Rick back, Richard Dean Anderson. You get a, a great. Uh, actor, in my opinion, Alan Ruck as the the doctor of the facility, Doctor yeah. Fletcher. I love that guy. And we get to, to see Tori Higginson do some some acting range. As much as I love Before I Sleep, this is probably Tori's strongest episode as an actor. Probably, uh, yeah. She gets so much to do, and she's just—I mean, this is this is literally all about just being inside of Weir's head. And uh, there's a little bit of outside stuff when you realize what's going on. She's been infected by replicator nanites. And uh, Beckett's trying to save her, and uh, Shepard's putting himself at risk at the end by by stepping uh, uh, inside and grabbing her hand and and encouraging her to fight her way out. But otherwise, you're inside of Weir's head the whole time, and she's back on Earth, and there's no such thing as Atlantis, and Jack is there, but he's not really acting like Jack. But yeah, Real World is definitely definitely one of my favorites of the year. Common Ground. Colia's return, this was a really cool episode. I, I remember them talking about Common Ground a lot when we were there, about uh, Ken Cooper's idea of uh, the Wraith. You know, at the time, I thought uh, when I saw the episode that the, the Wraith could give life as well as take it away. I thought it was a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. I think it damaged the Wraith as a species more and as, as a group of characters more than it helped, though. Oh, uh, because they could give life, restore yeah, it. Yeah, anytime that they wanted to. The Wraith as a threat, you know, was was diminished extremely. I mean, it, especially like in episodes like the finale where, you know, we, we think that Ronan's gone. And all of a sudden, the next scene, I've given you back your life. It's like, ah, oh, frack, you know? It would have been so much better if that hadn't happened. And then there's Travelers where yeah. Shepard Shepherd yeah. holds a Wraith at gunpoint and makes him do this. Yeah, that was, that was a bit of a diminishment, I guess. But man, when it happened in Common Ground, when we saw... Yes. That he had been he had been sort of creating an alliance with this wraith prisoner, and then they managed to escape together. They're getting out, and then the wraith turns on him and sucks his life away. That was that was a that was a big moment. That was a jaw dropper, yeah. and I didn't it's see the, it coming. It's the introduction of Todd, a, a terrific character. Christopher Hired all plays him. It's just really really good. 
Robert Davi is back as Kolya. Great job. Yeah, Ryan Robbins is back as Layden. Seeing for the first time, you know, Shepard getting his life torn away from him. I didn't know how it was going to be resolved. I, I had I had kissed spoilers goodbye at this point, and I was like, "Holy smokes!" You know, he's he's really getting his life drained from him. I don't know how we're going to fix that, and it was a real surprise yeah. at the end that 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 the wraith was able to give him back his life. Yeah, Kolya in this. I mean, Kolya set up in season one as a as a military commander, so you think he's got a certain set of ethics. He's got his own ethical code. Uh, but when you get to common ground, man, he's he's acting like a terrorist. Uh, the Jedi have been taken over by Laden uh, with his coup uh, in coup d'etat in season two, and now Cole is on the outside and he's using this situation to to try and get his hands on Laden. Basically, mm-hmm. um, man, his ethics, if he had any, are out the window now, and I think you really see what Cole is made of that he's willing to do this uh, yeah. and do it without without batting an eyelash. Uh, nope. There's there's no remorse when he talks with Shepard about it. Such a cool character and, and such a cool episode. So the next one is McKay and Mrs. Miller. Good show. Martin Garrow had been talking about this one for a long time. Okay, so tell the story going back to Hot Zone for people who haven't heard it. Okay, so in the original script, uh, it's written that McKay has a brother that uh, he wants uh, to, to deliver a message to, and and David Hewlett at the time said, you know, I have a sister who's an actress. Can you can we change it to sister? And they're like, ah, sure. You like we'll ever get her on, but we'll change it to sister anyway. And uh, Martin and a couple of the others went to see Kate Hewlett perform in Toronto on stage. Uh, Martin's buddy Brendan Gall, who had a character named after him in uh, the Defiant one in season one, uh, was a director. Uh, of that play and so uh, when they decided to bring her aboard Brandon came in and played uh, uh, Jeannie Miller's husband mm-hmm. uh, in this episode so uh, this, that's how it that's how it came about they just wrote a, an episode for her which featured her and then added this twist in the end of an alternate reality uh, uh, McKay what a terrific show Meredith and Jeannie <laughs> stuff that that brother sister relationship, I think, played by the real life brother and sister, uh, who are both such charming people, is one of the things that that uh, Atlantis did best. Um, this is one of my favorite things about the, the entire series is that yeah. relationship, and the introduction of Jeannie in this episode, man, it's it's so well written and so well shot and acted, where Jeannie is is uh, doing the the train thing with her daughter, and that leads into the finger painting and the math proof. Uh, yeah, I just love the way this episode opens mm-hmm. with her. Phantoms! You've got a rape device on a planet that is malfunctioning. And it is causing everyone to hallucinate. And we get a little bit of backstory here with Shepard. And, uh, you know, it was it, one of the casting sides for Atlantis. Ford talks about one of the reasons that Shepard inspires him. While Shepard was in Afghanistan, he was told not to go back for a down chopper. And uh, he he went back anyway, rescued the guy, uh, but got demoted uh, in, in the process, or got, didn't get demoted, but got basically sent to um, to Antarctica yeah. because of disobeying yeah. orders. And we see this scene. It's not expressly stated that this is what it was, but this was what it was. And I don't know how much of that actually made it into the on screen on screen dialogue. That that's the reason why Shepard was was flying choppers at McMurdo in Antarctica was it was he was basically being punished he had disobeyed orders by by going back and rescuing his comrade and risking lives and 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 equipment uh, but he went back and saved this guy 
and that was uh, that was the root of that story. We saw what really made Shepard Shepard in this episode. Um, whether or not you knew that this this incident was what it was, that's what it was. Uh, so that was cool. We see we see Beckett dealing with you know uh, uh, patients, and uh, he's trying to save a, a corpse, a person that is obviously dead. And then mm-hmm. in the end of the episode, we we find that yes, he actually did save this guy. And uh, you know, Ronan is being chased by Wraith. And it's just the the show is all over the place with characters, but it works. Yeah, some of it works for me more than others. The Beckett stuff I like. The Shepard flashbacks are are really interesting, and I'm glad that we got that piece of his backstory. Uh, kind of reminds me of Jack O'Neill in The Gamekeeper, and and yeah. losing his buddy and and take care of Barbara for me or whatever the yeah. the, the man's yeah. dying words were. Yeah. Um, there's there's a nice bit of bit of a connection between between the kind of man that Shepard is and the kind of man that Jack O'Neill is mm-hmm. uh, and what's made those guys what they are. The running around in the woods and I think you're a bad guy so I'm going to shoot at you but you're really my friend. Um, I, I don't find that particularly entertaining. I didn't really ever think that, that Ronan and Shepard were going to kill each other but uh, it's a nice bit of Jeopardy. So then we get to the mid-season two-parter and Jack is back. Jack is back. This is a cool premise. I remember Martin telling us that uh, the return felt like it could be a season, a series finale, mm-hmm. uh, and you do, you do get that vibe. Yeah, in part two, Woolsey and O'Neill sort of uh, running around in the city. They're the only only two survivors after the Asurans show up and wipe out the the ancients. You know, that's fun stuff. The buffet line. Rick did a lot of water work in the second one. It was very well done. Yeah, the under the underwater dive opening the the bay for the puddle jumper uh, yeah. was cool stuff. I mean, that's that's just such a memorable shot. Uh, Rick doing that that water work. I love Megan Leach. I love uh, the actress who plays Helia, yes. the leader of the Ancients. She's of course uh, Fox Mulder's sister, little sister. Oh, okay. In the X Files, and I did not know that. One. She was Kira, who was also Linnea. Linnea. The destroyer of worlds? Yeah, so she shows up and takes over Atlantis, and and before Shepard and Weir get through the Stargate going back to Earth, I expect at some point she's going to say, all debts have now been paid. She doesn't say it. She doesn't say it. Breaks my heart. So I'm disappointed that the Ancients don't play a bigger part in in the return, the two-parter. Um, we see just by video link that the replicators have showed up and, and all those ancients that we met are dead. They're dead. Uh, and we don't see her anymore. And there's no more fallout. I don't think we even found out what happened to their ship. Mm-mm. Now, the ancients purely served as our reason for leaving. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of the story was about us getting back. You know, and Shepard disobeying orders from Landry and, and O'Neill saying, okay, you're all right, you know, we're not going to... We'll reinstate you. Um, Weir gets command of the city again, and and somehow, um, you know, all of her her personal items, even though the tower was destroyed and then the replicators rebuilt it, all of her personal items are somehow recovered from the ocean floor. <laughs> so, I love it. I love Doctor Lee in part one, and uh, Weir, yes. Weir pretending to be a World of Warcraft player so that she can distract him. And as a World of terminal. Warcraft player now, myself, he had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> so only nice. now is there a level 75. Nice. The explosion of the Atlantis Tower yeah. at the beginning yeah. of Part 2 was, was phenomenal. Such a great uh, idea. 
and and my jaw dropped and my jaw I've been watching Atlantis for a long time at that point and it had been a long time since the show had really surprised me and that surprised me so yeah. of course I was pretty disappointed that the replicators built it you know rebuilt it before the next scene had started it's a great sequence though you rewatch it slowly and I I missed so many things there when the puddle jumper comes through it runs over two of the replicators. Yeah. I mean, it takes them out. Yeah, that's awesome. If you awesome. don't even notice it, I didn't notice it the first time going through. I was like, man, that's cool. So. Yeah, and then backing up through the window, mm-hmm. busting out the window of the of the gate room is just, man, that that's a cool sequence. I and love that. And then taking out the tower. Uh huh. Yeah. Echoes, 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 echoes. Echoes, echoes. Uh, a really far-fetched idea, but I guess one that ultimately works. The whales come and give us memories of, of past ancients, and the help they help us realize that the sun is about to flare, and it's... Uh, uh, I don't know how if it's uh, any more far-fetched or silly than uh, having to travel back to 1986 Earth to bring two humpback whales named George and Gracie to the future to <laughs> in an attempt to repopulate the species and save the world from an alien probe. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, echoes is a spooky one with with the the, the ancient ghosts walking through the corridors, walking through Tayla, creepy stuff. Hi guys, this is Thomas from Ontario, and I'm calling about the listener question: What's your favorite episode of? Sorry, Atlantis season three. Honestly, it's kind of hard to choose because, in my opinion, I pretty much read them all about the same. But I'd have to say it's How of Rodney, or however it's pronounced. I just love the show because you just see so much into McKay's character, and you just never see him like that ever really again. Like, he's preparing to die, and the sheer strength he shows, he starts apologizing to people. It was kind of weird and a neat little way for McKay to break out of what he usually does every week. That's a good show, you know. We've... we've... Would later get Rodney uh, becoming stupid, but this is Rodney becoming smart. This is an episode that I have not paid nearly enough attention to. I think I've only seen it really through one time. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's got some fun beats to it. You know, he he begins to read people's minds. You know, he just becomes a supreme being, practically, pretty much. <laughs> I Realize. love Dow of Rodney. This is one of my favorite episodes of of the whole series. Definitely one of my favorite Rodney episodes. When I go back and, and pop in the Atlantis DVDs, this is one that I've I've gone back to a couple times, and it's it's uh, so much fun because it's got it's got heart, you know. You've yeah. got you've got Rodney coming to terms with who he is as a human being, facing death, uh, doing these these wonderful things for his friends, like like the way that he heals Ronan's back, the scars mm-hmm. on his back, mm-hmm. uh, with this embrace. It's just some touching stuff, and then it's also got you know funny stuff. It's it's obviously. David Hewlett's one of the one of the funniest working actors, probably. It's got uh, yep. a, a nice banter between the characters, uh, putting Shepard and McKay together. Uh, McKay laying on the on the floor of Shepard's quarters, I think it is, using his powers of levitation to steal donuts. About the game. Kind of a middle of the road episode. Laura Harris is one of my favorite Vancouver actresses. She plays Nola, one of the the uh, leaders on this alien planet. So uh, we've got we've got two warring factions on this developing planet, and we find out that the video game, the ancient video game that Rodney and John have been playing, is not actually a simulator. It's actually controlling these two civilizations on this real planet and mm-hmm. giving them instructions. This is actually happening somewhere. It's a neat idea. 
I like the idea a lot. I actually love the idea, um, and I think it for the most part, it, it it works for me. It's it's fun, and the interesting ancient technology that this that this civilization has, the way that Rodney has sort of set him up as a as a demigod uh, with his little <laughs> culture that he's playing with. So they they show up in the city, in the in the village, and you know his picture is up everywhere. Definitely makes for some funny stuff. But yeah, it's tough because the resolution is, it's, it's kind of hard to know where to go. The way that it's resolved, I think, is that at the end of the day, we kind of fake them out. What about the arc? The arc is another one that's, again, kind of middle of the road for me. Um, it's, a, it's a nice sci-fi idea of uh, an ancient civilization that has attempted to preserve itself in this, I guess it's like a floating city ship that looks mm-hmm. like a, a big meteor. A uh, big asteroid, and uh, we stumble upon them and try and help them out and end up screwing them up. And <laughs> have to have to save them at the last moment. Not terribly remarkable, not terribly memorable. And we talked about Sunday, so then we get to the very end of the season. We're coming up to Submersion, which is another Wraith episode. Yeah, we find that there's a, a drilling station on um, on the the ocean floor of Lantia. And uh, it has a sleeping wraith down there from the uh, original war 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, much like the Defiant one, we've got another sleeping wraith from that era. And uh, it's a good Taylor episode in that respect. Taylor plugs into her, and they manipulate another. When she hooks herself up to the wraith internet, she is, is definitely putting herself at risk. Yeah. And she, she does lose it in this one. She loses control. Vengeance, the return of Michael. We thought he was dead. He wasn't dead. Um, and now he's come back and made really creepy alien creatures. Big Michael episode. Big episode for the Michael storyline. Mm-hmm. And now he's struck out on his own. He's been he's been given the boot. Uh, he has no place to go. So he's going to be the king of his own castle, and he's going to try yeah. and screw up as many other people as he can by by using his brain power and and creating a race of super wraithy erratus bug creatures the poor Turanians. you know we we alluded to the fact that you know we were going to get them into so much deep trouble this year and and boy you know <laughs> we, we took their ship and then you know we gave them a new planet and the poor folks yeah they're they're not in this episode. They're a steaming pile of corpses in this episode. Yeah, they're all which is dead. Disturbing. That shot when they find they they're basically in this underground series of of corridors, and they find a room, concrete yeah. room, with a pile of dead bodies. So disturbing. And then first strike. This is a great show in my opinion. Uh, we get the Apollo for the first time. Commander is uh, Abraham Ellis. And uh, played by the excellent Michael Beach. And this is a good show. Yeah, um, good finale. Good one to go out on. Weir is thinking of resigning her position because you know, we're, we're doing some things that uh, you know, are ethically unsound. And we lose her in the end anyway. We've poked the bear and they're, they're going to take us out. You know, they're intent on it. Um, and there are consequences for this. I think that's what I that's what I appreciate the most out of this. There are consequences. Yeah, yeah, there are huge consequences. As the title says, first strike. We have decided that uh, we need to take out the replicators before they take us out because we think they're building a, an armada. 
And man, that is disturbing. You can apply it to to real life politics and the and the waging of war and you know, when you think that, that your enemy has weapons of mass destruction and the intent to use them, you gotta do something about it. And this mm-hmm. is what we do here, and we not only go in and surgically do I mean this is not a surgical strike to take out their means of, of making war. This is when you look at the detonations Yeah, from space uh, it's on pretty the creepy. surface of Asurus. It's it's disturbing the amount of square mileage that we obliterate of that civilization. And we've talked about this a lot before. Um, if we can figure out which episodes, I think we can link to them. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, I, I have problems with this move, like Weir has problems with this. Uh, and, you know, th- those concerns go largely unanswered throughout the show. But at least Weir is there raising the issues. Yeah, for a little while. But it really is sort of the beginning of the end for her. This is where she sustains the injury. Mm-hmm. That uh, eventually ends up in in her death. I love Michael Beach. He uh, he brings a lot to this. I love the idea of Atlantis under siege in a different way. We've seen Atlantis under siege from the from the Wraith, and what that looks like. This mm-hmm. is a this is a sustained energy beam uh, attack, not from a ship but from a satellite uh, a satellite weapon with a Stargate in it. Used by a Stargate, which is yeah. awesome. Uh, that this this satellite shows up, uh, I, it drops out of hyperspace, I guess, uh, and then it ha- we see that it has a stargate, and the stargate dials up, and suddenly there's this energy beam that's it's draining the city shields mm-hmm. and we're goners. We try to sink the city to reduce the intensity of the beam, so you get sort of harkening back to rising and and the reversal of of that. Man, there's just thematically there's so much cool stuff going on here, and then ultimately the decision is to take the city off the planet. And hide from the replicators, and uh, Lauren gets involved and gets to fly a 302 and push an asteroid in front of the beam, and it's just cool, just a cool finale. It leads into a great episode, which uh, we'll talk about next time. Yep, we're almost to season four, which I think has some really outstanding stories. Thanks everybody for your voicemails this week. We got a lot of voicemails on other topics. Uh, we talked about women in Stargate. Got some great feedback in that that uh, showed up too late to make it into that show. And uh, a few other things to talk about. Let's get into the voicemail. What do I think about how these writers write female characters? I think they can't. They don't write characters. They write cliches and stereotypes. As such, the guys there are a bit better because action hero and geeky sidekick, they do pretty well. And I think the writers identify with the guys enough sometimes too much, that they do okay with the stereotype. But for the ladies, the cliches are a bit less enjoyable. Their ladies are written as submissive. They're the girlfriends, the sexy aliens, the permissive maternal figure that pats the hero on the head when he comes home triumphant, and they are little else. Sam and Janet, who were not created by these current writers, were great characters. Janet was so much on the sidelines that she never suffered too much. Sam, however, as the years went on and the writers changed to the current ones, went from an equal member of the team, whose gender was never really an issue, to someone that the writers seemed to have little interest in unless they were dealing with her love life. She became the sum of her boyfriends. Then, when season nine rolls around and Jack is no longer there and the writers don't know what to do with her, 
they not only essentially demoted the character by having the more qualified female step down so the lesser qualified male could be in charge, she didn't mind. She wasn't angry. She wasn't resentful. In fact, she was written to be happy with, to have him in charge and happy with the change. That's not how it works in the real world, and thanks for supporting gender bias, guys. Dala may have started out as a feisty character, but she soon became little more than the hot alien chick that hits on the geek. Convince me these writers aren't living through their characters. Lear on SG-1 was a spunky woman that gave as good as she got, but as soon as she was put in command of the city, she was little more than support for Shep, tolerant when he disobeyed her, and supporting him while he fought the good fight. Taylor, who was introduced as an alien warrior, leader, and guide, had those attributes stripped away from her and given to Ronan, and I think the fact that, out of the whole cast, she was the only one in the promo photos barefoot and in revealing clothing kind of speaks to their view of her role from season two on. Keller was little more than Rodney's girlfriend, Chloe is Scott's girlfriend, TJ was Young's girlfriend, and Ray is little more than a bureaucrat who's a lesbian. Are you sensing a theme here? None of the female characters on the show are anything more than who they are or have slept with. These writers prefer their female characters subordinate and submissive to the males. I think the fact that they wrote an episode where a character drugs women into having sex with him, and not only does every other character on the show not mind, it's treated as a joke, speaks volumes about their view of women. This is Ian, formerly of Aldergrove, BC, and now of Saskatoon. I've heard you talk about the ship that detached itself from the Destiny. I had recalled them talking earlier in that episode about how the ship, le ship left beacons so that it could be found by when the nine-digit gate address was dialed. So it was my idea that that thing was actually a beacon that it left behind. And also, I wouldn't be surprised to find out at some point in the future that one of the previous ships was actually inhabited by ancients and they inhabited one of the planets and set up a colony. Uh, this is Carl from Hawaii, and the reason why I'm calling you guys is because I just saw the previews for the new season of Stargate, or the second half of the first season, should I say, and it looks awesome. There's actually going to be some battles for once. Hey, this is Jim from the Sci-Fi Band. I just want everyone out there to know we have a new video out. It's called PX75309. It's based on the SG-1 franchise. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it now. Jim, I think since you called, we did post the music video for PX75309 on GateWorld, and uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, not talking to Jim, I'm sure Jim has seen it, uh, everybody, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch <laughs> the, the music video for the parody song. Uh, it's yeah. just awesome. They did a great job. It's really good. Costumes, visual effects, I mean, it's got it all. The costumes are terrific. The long, blonde-haired SG team member, Damaris Deegan, a buddy of mine. I had no idea that they knew her. So when they created the music video, for that, I'm like, it's Damaris, look at that. So, really cool. Hi, guys. This is Thomas from Ontario. And um, I've just been noticing the whole uh, prop works auctions that have been going on on the site for the past few weeks and stuff. My question is, um, if we're selling all the SG-1 in Atlantis props, what's that going to do to the movies? might affect how much I'm going to buy or if I'm going to buy anything at all. So I just want to know if that affects any of the movies or not. I would say, man, that warehouse, David, you've been in it. 
the warehouse at the Bridge Studios where all this stuff was in storage was probably pretty huge. There's a there's a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, when they get around to doing the movies, and, and I'm going to keep saying when and not if, uh, when they get around to doing the SG-1 and Atlantis movies, uh, I think that the hopefully there's going to be a budget to want to, to redo some of this stuff. You can um, recreate a lot of this stuff for just a few million dollars. I mean, if you yeah, get a $12 million budget for a film, you have the funds to recreate a lot of this stuff, and a lot of the rest of it you can do digitally. You're not going to want to turn around and do do a lot of reuses, which is what they do in the television series yes. a lot, is, is they'll go grab a costume from a, from an alien species and, and go, you know, okay, it's a different village, let's let's add a brooch. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a background extra, maybe. So a lot of that stuff, you're going to want to sort of create new stuff for a bigger project with a bigger budget anyway. Yep. Um, I, I'm not terribly worried that they're selling off as much as they are. If the movies are going to get made, then the fact that the props have been sold is not going to prevent the movies from being made. So we have two more shows before SGU returns with new episodes on Friday, April 2nd. Next week, we're going to be talking about SGU. We're going to talk about the theme of antiheroes and the main characters on the show. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about this? One of the the uh, elements of the show being a character drama, being a darker show that the writers have, have given us, is that the characters are not... They're not archetypal heroes. They're not necessarily all uh, uh, lovable, but they have flaws. And sure, Jack O'Neill had flaws... Uh, but but these are flaws of a very different sort. These are you know it's sort of uh, maybe not everybody gets redeemed. Maybe not everybody is is ultimately likable at the end of the day. Gaius Baltar is as flawed and dark a character as he was. He kind of had a likable side. One of the criticisms that's been labeled at SGU that I think is worth addressing is is that none of the main characters, aside from maybe Eli, are really all that likable because they're all kind of. You know, being selfish and being jerks, and and you see what happened with uh, with Rush and Young at the end of Justice, which we'll talk about. Definitely watch out for spoilers if you haven't seen the ten episodes that have aired so far. SGU's characters uh, and heroism versus are are they antiheroes? Are they are they worth rooting for? Are they worth loving? So this week's listener question is just that: Do you find any of SGU's characters to be heroic? Do you think that they need to be for you to engage with them and their stories? If you're going to love a character like Everett Young or Camille Ray, uh, do they have to be heroic? Do they have to be redeemed in order for the, for that character to really engage you? So if you have any thoughts for that show, give us a call on the voicemail line. That is 951-262-1647. Call any time, day or night. Or you can make a little recording on your computer and email it if you don't want to call. Email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. And ideally, those messages should really be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 seconds to two minutes. If they get much longer than two minutes, we we have to start cutting into them. Well, that's going to be our May 24th show, assuming I don't get sick again. SGU's Antiheroes. And then we're coming back on March 31st, and we're going to wrap up our Stargate History Series with Atlantis Season 4, because we've already talked about Season 5. So, join us! April 7th, we're talking about space, and I am stoked, stoked to see this episode. That's everything we've got this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. Give us a call on the hotline if you want to participate in next week's show. 
course, we always like hearing from you if you want to post over in the feedback thread on the forum. Join in the discussion. Glad you're feeling better. Thank you. Stay better, please. <laughs> I hope so. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here again in seven days or so. For the GateWorld Podcast.